Well, hello and welcome to episode 167 of The Cool Room. We've been away for a little while having our January break. It wasn't intentional, but it seemed like every brewer in the country was having a little break and we didn't want to drag them away from the beach. More about that thought in a minute. But it's good to see Mr. Warren Wu for the first time in 2023. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised. I haven't seen you for six weeks. Yeah, I'm really surprised that we haven't done Well, I was away in in uh wa in perth for most of jan so there was that but yeah it's it's great to be back in the seat and and talking brews and catching up with a few of our regulars online and doing all the good things so yes thanks david it's good to have you back in the seat (laughs) now speaking of beaches mr warren beaches we'll talk about beaches oh double a wa beaches anyone who's like you, you don't go in the afternoon, but if you want an amazing beach, they are they are just breathtaking. And apparently, I was, I was actually thinking of New South Wales beaches. I was thinking, no, no, I was, I was making that segue there, but no, that's gone out the window. We, we toss that around, like you know, it's just making sure that we 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 cover this great wide brown beach covered land that we live <laughs> in. Um, yeah, we're really we're super lucky to have. Uh, Seven Mile Brewing on on the show today. Uh, we've got Matt Wilson from Seven, which we'll talk to in just a moment. But they're from beautiful Ballina, so talk about special places on our on our massive beach covered continent. Uh, Ballina is probably one of them. Um, and <laughs> Matt has Matt's joined us after a day at the beach, which is just perfect. That's yeah, taking the three year old to the beach. Uh, on what I'm assuming is a wonderful day in Ballon, and it sounds terrific. Um, Matt, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And yeah, apologies for being a little late for, for the meeting. That's okay. It was a great reason, and we can't besmirch anyone who's going to be who's going to be hanging out at the beach with their kids. Oh, yeah, it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to not accept that reason uh, with with a lot of glee. Um, so. We should get let's let's jump straight in. Um, uh, tell us about Seven Mile. Tell us about the history. We don't see a lot of it in in Victoria, and that's something we'd love to change. Um, try, having tried a couple of the beers, uh, it's they seem like exciting brews and something that we should encourage our listeners to get into their local bottle shop. So yeah, Matt, tell us about tell us about your your brewing operation. Um, well, it's about our fifth year now so we're not not old and not new we're somewhere in between but um we've only had our canning line for maybe three years um mm-hmm. of, of those five um so again that's sort of just been organically grown we haven't we didn't start with an enormous bankroll from from anyone um and we we sort of just sort of had to start making the beer um in smaller amounts and then um except for 25 up in the background sorry um <laughs> had to start with the small amounts and sort of just grow organically from there so that that's why we're sort of not in victoria um we're barely sort of in in the gold coast and brisbane let alone sydney and melbourne just now but we, we do have plant some plans to steadily grow out but um yeah just day by day week by week year by year sort of sort of plans of growth for for us yeah nice to tell us a bit there you know we, we've obviously in australia we know where ballina is and we know about where the places you're talking about with brizzy and the gold coast and so forth 
But for our international listeners, uh, shout out to Henrik in Norway and all of the others who regularly tune in and are confused by Australian geography. Can you describe just briefly where where Ballina is first and foremost, and then what it's like as a as a place? Um, it's talk about you know beach weather. It's uh, an ideal day to be discussing that. Yep, for sure. Um, so we're about eight hours, maybe nine hours north of Sydney, and a about three hours, two and a half hours-ish uh, south of Brisbane. So uh, Ballina is about, if then if you want to get even more technical, about 45 minutes south of the Queensland-New South Wales border. So we're what we would call subtropical um, climate. Um, Ballina or the Northern Rivers has the highest rainfall um of all of new south wales as a region and it's got higher rainfall than most of queensland as well um, except for the northern tip so very subtropical very at times can be quite humid um but very very green very very lush um place uh and so has lots of great local farms for us to work with but it's also got quite uh great and in some cases famous beaches byron bay is only about 15 20 minutes to our north as well uh, which is obviously internationally famous for its beaches they're very crowded beaches at times because of that but lennox beach um which we're named after seven mile beach is lennox head beach um i'd say is uh, uh, equally beautiful um as any others around the area and um maybe a little a little bit better of a kept secret than um than byron bay um but yeah no lo- lovely area um lovely climate and um, certainly days like today, really nice day. Um, you see most of most of the locals and most of the town either walking or riding their bike to or from the beach. So, yeah, it's great. It, uh, I am just imagining how poor Heinrich in Norway and all of our other listeners in deep, dark Scandinavia, as it would be at this <laughs> time of the year, that poor buggers who will just you know be over there just dreaming of the kind of weather that we're having here at the moment. <laughs> um. Matt, so let's talk a little bit about your journey. Are you originally from the area? Is of you, yeah? And how did how did you start it? At, at, uh, how did you start Seven Mile? What was the what was the thought behind that and the history behind that? Yeah, so my my father and I started the company together, um, but I've been a brewer for about twelve years now. Um, so I used to live in this area for a couple of years with my father when um, I was a teenager. Um, I come from a a broken home. Um, a, but uh, so he he moved up here roughly when I was about two, um, and then I moved up here for a couple of years. I think I was about fourteen at the time. Um, so, but other than that, I've lived in Sydney with with my mum. Um, so after high school and starting my early career, um, I worked in IT or tech journalism more specifically. No, no. Hang on, hang on. Put down, Every... put down the uh, put down the glasses. <laughs> and here. I <laughs> I know it's a it's a rare really rare story um <laughs> I, yeah so uh yeah started off in tech journalism in Sydney working for a couple of different publications down there and um yeah after about three or four years of of doing that decided wanted to give brewing a crack um my first brewing job was with Dave Patton at Riverside or my first paid I should say my first paid brewing job was with Dave Patton at Riverside before that, I was at, I was volunteering at Four Pines f- for a little bit, um, and then after about a year and a half with Dave, I went back to Four Pines for about five years. Hey, Jojo, do you want to hop back on the bed, sweetie? 
Sorry. <laughs> um, sorry. No, don't apologise. That's uh, um, more entertaining than we normally get. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so then back to Four Pines and then eventually um, my father wanted to start a family business. I'm one of four kids um, and none of the other kids really had much of a, a plan of, of attack for a family business. So brewing and starting a brewery was the, the winning the winning option um at that point so uh yeah the, the rest is sort of history we um found found a block found a landlord that was willing to build our building for us and um yeah just piece by piece bit by bit um really just started putting putting the, the brewery together and um yeah just growing organically like i said before and just yeah case by case keg by keg we went out and got there um and your your three year old <laughs> it's like in the background I've noticed she's got a she's got a wonderful or he or could be either sorry it's Joe uh Joy sorry yeah no it is a girl she's got short she hadn't didn't have a hair on her head for about the first two years um she yeah. still hasn't had a haircut but um <laughs> my little willow was the same yeah just it yeah. took a long time um. That pink tutu is very reminiscent of the colour of the can of the beer that we're currently drinking and the wonderful... Oh, now there's a segue. Yeah, well how good was that part? <laughs> <laughs> well done. Um, an amazingly awesome named uh, Melancholy. Um, and, of course, there's like this... There's, there's like a, a picture of a friendly collie face, border collie face on the front of the can uh, in watermelon colours. Uh, tell us, tell us about the beer you you mentioned before we we started recording. There was a fairly um, line and length uh, souring process. Yeah, did you want to run through yeah, run through a little bit of this beer for us and give us a give us um, a little tasting note and whether or not it hits all the marks that you were trying to you were trying to get when you were brewing it? Sure. So we do some different fruited sours um, as uh our, as along with our limiteds um so we do the melancholy we do the barbara um and we do uh what's the other constant sort of one we do oh we've done davidson plum that's coming out again pretty soon and we've got a couple of others but uh so for this one specifically the melancholy um it's it's as it says on the cans it's a watermelon sour um they've been certainly done before we're not pioneers in 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 that style um but it's a style that that works um we've tried from not just ourselves in the past but multiple different breweries and um yeah it's something that we sort of wanted to bring into our uh, i guess rotation mm -hmm. um so but it's made with fresh fresh watermelons so we we get a couple of hundred kilos of watermelons when they come in from harvest um we skin them all ourselves um and then we basically just get big sterile buckets paint mixes and um just mush it all up into our own sort of yeah. watermelon juice and yep. add it to the secondary ferment so the base beer is i guess what you'd maybe say is something more like a berliner weiss or a kettle sour so um just starts off with a our house lactobacillus culture that we use and then kettle sour that for about 72 hours uh then go into primary ferment and then from primary ferment we add uh, the fruit we don't pasteurize the fruit juice or anything like that so you might there might be some other secondary ferment bugs that sort of get picked up but that's not always the intention for us we still want it to be relatively clean we don't want it to delve into any of the sort of vinegary or 
farmhouse styles or anything that you're going to sort of get that's more from a Brett ferment. We want it to be pretty, pretty approachable, pretty clean overall on, on its sour profile. Um, and the reason for that purely is just where we are. So we, we don't live in a, the middle of a city, as we just said, we're sort of stuck in between a few of the major cities. And a lot of the people in this regions hadn't necessarily even tried sours. When we first mm. opened and started making sours, probably half the people coming into our tap rooms had never tried sours before. So these are the sorts of sours that are our bread and butter now. They're, they're, should, they're, the idea is that they're very approachable and uh, people from all sort of walks of life can come into the brewery and hopefully enjoy them. Um, I might, you, since you brought it up, I thought it'd be a good chance to talk about your tap room. What do people, uh, what will people see when they walk into the tap room? Is it a, is it a big spot? Um, how much of it does it drive your business? Um, it's a huge portion of our cash flow and of our business, um, from that sense. So, but in terms of, um, operating hours and things, it's otherwise somewhat limited. So mm-hmm. we only run our tap room three days a week so friday saturday and sunday and generally speaking we're a lunchtime to late lunch or early evening venue so we only open from midday to 6 p.m so we're really only open about 18 hours a week in the yep. tap room but that being said it's still a pretty significant part of our business structure and business model um we may change that in the future we may expand that in the future but um up until pretty recently, you know, we were still only running a small handful of staff and it still kind of do um, across the brewery. So finding people to sort of work that with and work that through has been a bit of a challenge, especially through COVID. So it's something we may update and change in the future. But um, the other thing about the tap room, I guess it's kind of unique is that we're right across the road from the Ballinor airport, like, and people, I say that all the time, and then people actually come in and like, oh my God, you weren't lying. You are literally across the road. So we're about 40 meters walk from the security check-in at the Ballina Airport, which is now, correct me if I'm wrong, someone might know better than me, but I think it's the second biggest airport in New South Wales now. So I'm pretty sure it's bigger than, New, or more flights than Newcastle now. So wow. it's, well, and it's a big part of that's obviously going to be on the back of Byron Bay, but um. Yeah. Yeah. So especially with international travel opening back up again, we, we are getting a lot more international tourists. We're noticing coming back through the brewery and back into Byron and stuff, which is good. Very, very welcome after a couple of quiet years. So um, yeah, it's it's unique in that way as well. But I guess it's the the unofficial sort of Qantas lounge of, <laughs> of, 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 the, of the Ballina Airport is to come over to the brewery and have a few beers or a few wines and um and wait, wait there. For, you can literally watch your plane touchdown and then uh stroll on across and wander over and jump on have you got that as a t-shirt yet because we love a good t-shirt here in the cool room and i reckon the unofficial (laughs) Qantas lounge (laughs) we're we're funny you should say that we we, our merch game wasn't very strong our first few years but i'm talking with a new designer now and we're literally only just this week sort of starting to um to work on a couple of different more interesting shirts than just the standard logo shirt Well, we are very good at talking about designs, not so good on actually committing to ever getting anything made, but um, I reckon Seven Mile Brewing, the unofficial uh, Qantas Lounge of Ballina Airport, it's got a ring to it. I reckon that could go. <laughs> That's it. Um, now, I've got to say, this beer is excellent for a Sunday mm. afternoon sort of session, starting out kind of beer. 
just so tasty and fresh. It's uh, tell us a little bit about that whole core lineup, and is this part of the core lineup or or part of the sort of the summer adventure? Um, so if we're still on the melancholy, um, that's that's a limited release. So so we have we're a bit, I guess some breweries do the similar sort of thing. So we we have a core range of four beers and one RTD being a ginger beer. Um, so, but outside of those four beers, we've got our limited releases. The Melancholy is a limited release, but we have a couple that we sort of bring back either seasonally or once or twice a year. So we've got uh, the Bees Nuts, which is a honey macadamia IPA, a couple of different fruited sours. Um, My son is going to love the name of that beer. The Bees Nuts. Yeah. <laughs> Any yeah. further. Yeah. Um, and there's a few others, but like they're sort of beers that we make at least once a year. Uh, we've got a Christmas pudding beer as well, things like that. Obviously, we make that at Christmas. So we've, we've got a couple, probably about eight or nine beers that we make every year once per year. And when they're done, they're done. And then on top of that, we probably have somewhere around 20 to 25 truly unique beers. So they'll just be truly one and done. We'll make them. They're just a bit of fun, a bit of an experiment, and we'll make them once and once only, generally speaking. Um, and then, yeah, things that then get bought into, I guess, that like annual rotation are like generally the ones that people, you know, bang on the door for and just keep asking or basically demand that we do it again. Um, and so, yeah, there's probably about nine or so of those that we do. And it's hard if we sort of add another beer to that, that repertoire now, I guess we need to almost remove something else from it in order to keep doing it. We can't really do more than sort of one um returning limited a month because then we we really want to make sure we're doing at least two other um at least two new like limiteds every month just to keep it interesting for the locals how big is the kit that you're brewing it on uh 12 heck brew house a 1200 liter brew house uh and then we have 21 tanks in our cellar now but most of between 12 24 and 36 heck um fermenters and brights um, so getting up there, not the biggest, not the smallest, but mm. it's yeah, getting up there. Yeah, that seems like an excellent way to sort of segue onto the onto the second beer we're going to be tasting with you this afternoon, which is the Grisette with lavender and rose water. <laughs> um, is that sort of an, a, a strictly limited release one, or one of the yeah, that's the, the, friends? No, that's a this is a this is a first first crack at it. This is only the second saison we've ever made in the brewery as well so when certainly not a saison brewery um this was one that paul clark one of our new pickups um wanted to brew and has wanted to brew for a little while he's um a senior brewer or um, brewery manager ex brewery manager of hop nation down in vic um so he joined our team probably getting close to six months ago maybe four or five months ago maybe five months ago joined our team and we were just sort of chatting about as brewers maybe do um just just crazy sort of things and crazy ideas that we've sort of got i was talking about how much i love turkish delight and i wanted to make a turkish delight beer and then he was saying oh he was interested in florals and botanicals they're both very light by the way i will say that so you may not even pick up um the lavender and the rose water they are extremely light in there um we were pretty scared especially with the lavender when we first put it in it was just yeah. all you could smell it was just completely overwhelming and so we let it age and then we, we sort of were like oh man there's so much lavender and this is crazy and then by the time it's now actually cellared 
and matured. Um, I can't even, I personally can't even really smell the lavender anymore, which is insane because it was all you could smell originally. So um, these sorts of beers are the ones we do um, partly for fun or mostly for fun, I should say. Um, and then we're trying to learn a little bit about them as well. So we'll learn a little bit about botanicals and how to incorporate them a bit better in the future or different ways to do that. Um, we've done different botanicals before. Like for example, I've done lemon modal and that was one that just sticks around forever as well. Um, and that didn't fade really at all. Whereas lavender seems to have. So we may play around with the ideas moving forward. We will definitely play around with these same ideas moving forward with barrel aged beers. So this was mainly going to be a test for us about how does the lavender age the rose water, even though you might've tasted that earlier on, how's that sort of developing in it as well. And then there's sort of things we want to use to um, just add, I guess, layers or add dimensions to maybe some more sophisticated sours in the future. We've start, we're starting a barrel program. Now we're starting to go down that path now that we're five years old and some of the locals are, I guess, getting a bit more used to the more complex styles. Mm -hmm. um, so this was a real sort of, I guess, testing the waters of how do we start incorporating some of these ingredients? So, I think the base saison's quite nice. Unfortunately, maybe some of the lavender and the rose water has just faded a bit or a lot more in some ways than what we thought it, it may have. I'm quite astounded by how, it, like, you, you're a little bit, and I'm sure you had the same trepidation. I'll finish the sentence in a tick, sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure you had the same trepidation when you thought about doing the beer, but when you look at the when you look at a beer and you see lavender and rose water on the front and the, in your head it could go a million ways but it's quite nice how and 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 taking into account that it has that the flavors have kind of dulled how how well they integrate together like on the nose it comes across and this might be showing my ignorance but it comes across a little bit like a wheat beer like yep. you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's just got those it's and and has that real floral kind of and and yeah, and those kind of characters come, those estuary characters, which which reflect in this bit. It's quite yeah, it's quite amazing. Like it's it's really fascinating. I thought I'd 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 yeah, I wasn't sure what I'd think about this one, but I think you pulled it off. Yeah, it's I'm probably in the same boat. I'm not sure how I, I'm still not sure really how I feel about it. I like it on a on a day like today. I don't know what the weather's like for a lot of the other listeners at the moment, but for us up here, it's I think. 31 degrees or 29 degrees quite mm. a warm day um sunny day so that nice light refreshing um yeah. beer and for me that saison character or belgian wheat beer character um it's quite quite enjoyable as well mm. yeah I, I sort of agree I, I wouldn't have picked the lavender or rose water had you given it to me in a blind tasting and said you know what flavors you know what adjuncts are in here i don't mm. think i would have picked it no. The rose water, perhaps a little bit more, knowing that it's there now, and that sort of, as you say, sort of light Turkish delight kind of yeah. flavor coming through in it. I can, I can get that, um, but just as a, an actual drink in and of itself, it's a really well balanced, uh, easy drinking sort of a, approach. You could give mm. this to people who aren't at all familiar with beer, and I can imagine them uh, having it, and it's dry enough that it's very Moorish as well. Yeah, well, that was why we went with the grisette style as well. I'd never made a grisette, and I'm, even if you look online, there's really not much information about what a grisette actually even is. Um, and I was going to ask that question. We've had a couple of grisettes on the show over the years, but it's yeah, always... there's a bit of varied opinion on them. They're not a very well 
known style. I mean, they're a regional style, like a lot of French and a lot of Belgian styles, they are regional. Um, so, but the the main, I guess, factor is that a lot of Saisons might start tipping in towards that 5%, whereas Grisette's really, um, from my understanding, are really in that three and a half to sort of 4, 4.4, 4.5, definitely not really wandering above 4.5. They're just that table beer. Um, I guess the best way is it's a regional Saison table beer, I guess. Um, and yeah, not, not a style that we've brewed a lot of, but it's definitely, definitely something I want to visit a bit more um, and play around with these concepts of introducing botanicals a bit more into and um, continuing to learn and develop it. And, and like I say, Paul Clark is, um, yeah, he's a, he's a sour nerd. Um, so whereas I'm an IPA West coast in particular, but more of an IPA nerd, he's definitely strengthens out our, um, our team with his knowledge of, of souring and of, of especially once it's going to come to our barrel program and things like that. So exciting um, to be able to sort of, work on some different stuff with with him i can imagine this pairing with food beautifully as well i've got to say that's you know mm. it's just one of those ones that for a for a dinner sort of you know accompaniment or even a lunch accompaniment you know definitely go beautifully with something sort of you know a little bit fatty like a nice cheesy thing or a, you know it would yeah. cut through that beautifully yeah a lot of those belgian styles obviously are quite famous for pairing well especially yeah, with with um with cheeses like you say and um, you know, fatty sort of soups like chowders and things like that go go great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you mean chowder, but sure. chowder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Um, James, who is one of our regulars and our international talent hunter, um, <laughs> has put a question <laughs> in our chat room. I think it's a really, yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. I'm going to, I'm just gonna. I won't. Uh, yeah, it'll, I'll I'll read it. I'll read it out for you. So, is there method in the choice of Motawaka in this brew? And I butchered that name of that particular hop, but yeah, is that yeah? What what was the thought behind that? Did you how did you want it to express in this beer? Yeah, so that, that's a really good question um, because hop choice, especially in styles that aren't pale ales and IPAs, um, can often be, I think, really dismissed as not important. Um, and, and there's look, there's no there's there's no right or wrong to some of that that thought process. Um, yeah, so for us, when it came to this Motueka choice, um, we're sort of playing around with quite a few different New Zealand suppliers now. Um, this is from Freestyle Hops in New Zealand, um, who for us are a new supplier, but um, not for everyone. But they're probably only a couple of years really last two years have started becoming more and more well-known. Um, their Motueka is quite floral. Um, when we sort of did some dry rubbing, comparing it to maybe NZ hops and some of the other bigger hop providers through Bintani and through Cryer, um, they were quite a bit more like melony and light citrus and some of those light tropic flavors coming through. Whereas this was quite a lot more, I personally feel like a, a lot more along the lines of the, the noble Mm -hmm. lineage or noble heritage that Motueka actually does have so a bit more of that SARS character coming through um and for me it was just I guess a, a modernization of using a noble hop um which is what I sort of thought Motueka was always meant to be but maybe has slowly started genetically drifting away from with some of the other growers um so yeah just a, a nice little bit of noble hop character in it really nice sort of perfume and um floral character which we 
the idea behind that, don't know if, how well it was executed in the end, but the idea behind that was to complement that sort of lavender um, and rose water to really just try to focus on the botanical nature of that. That being said, again, it, it is a light traditional style, so it's not hopped very heavily at all. So mm -hmm. we can say, oh, it adds, you know, it adds, um, you know, more fla aromas of ro rose or something like that, or it adds these other characters. But um, when you're only dry hopping, or I don't even think this was actually dry hopped, but we, when we're whirlpool hopping at, you know, one gram or one and a half grams a litre, it's really not, it's not meant to be in your face. That is, again, it's meant to be complementing um, those other added botanicals or the, the added esters and the added ferment character that we might be also going for. How'd the regulars in the, um, ooh, I'm not even sure if you've got regulars in your tap room, I'm assuming every tap room in the world has regulars, but yeah, how'd the people in the tap room um, react to this beer? Like, was, yeah, did you, what was the type of feedback you were getting? You were getting? Unsurprisingly, um, we didn't, we didn't expect it to be well received. Um, <laughs> this was definitely a beer that we made for us, mm. not, not for anyone else. Um, and it was definitely made for us to just, uh, test our theories and what we think <laughs> um so yeah it it hasn't been that popular but that's not surprising we've never done a belgian or even a german style that's really been popular um outside of a pilsner um whenever we've done anything that's got a bit more of a tartness to it or especially once you start going down this farmhouse path mm. um yeah generally speaking most people still aren't big fans so i'd say probably like a 80 20 split like 20 yeah. percent of people will drink it and go oh wow i really appreciate this this is really nice and then yeah. probably a solid 80 percent of people go oh, i'm not sure about this you know it's a bit people you know um they're not quite sure how to describe it they just say oh, it's a bit funky um and i sort of just try to explain it. i try to let people know when they start it. so i say this is saisons and things can be considered a little bit of like the blue cheese of the beer world you know they're yeah. They are a little bit funky. They've got a bit of an ester profile. They've got what you may perceive as faults from those mm -hmm. ferment characters, um, but they they are intentional. Just like how blue cheese is is meant to be moldy. It's not just cheese that was left out, you know. Um, so it's this, it's that nuance, and that's I think what it just takes a little bit of time. And and some people again, like going back to blue cheese, some people may never end up developing a taste for it, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but it's just, I guess, letting people know what they maybe are getting into when they try something that's a bit of a, a mixed ferment or especially a farmhouse style ferment that, um, yeah, it's not, yeah. it's yeah. not going to be like a forex or anything like that. No, I almost wonder, you know, if, if I was having it at the pub, I'd almost have a little free cheese giveaway or something with it, pair it with a couple of blue cheeses to really signify to people, if people go, why the hell would I want to have the blue cheese? You go, right, this isn't for you. Like you've almost self-identified as a person who's not adventurous with the flavours and probably not going to be ready to taste something mm. like this. Um, but if you're into the idea of a free blue cheese giveaway, then <laughs> give it a, you know, give it a go and that pairing will really set it off. I, I wonder who's given away cheese with beer in the room <laughs> like... well, i haven't done free cheese sunday in a long time it's got to be said. <laughs> um it's so uh, I, there was a point that i wanted to just quickly jump back on matt um and i think i think it it, it all this is the kind of thing that always interests me um 
when it comes to stuff that you want to brew that you're interested in in creating and stuff that's really for you and the stuff that it kind of has to be more more user friendly more more um products which which you need to sell to kind of I suppose stay alive what's the balance like how often do you say fuck it I'm gonna brew that because I'm really fascinated in what's gonna what it's gonna be as opposed to ah uh, we kind of have to spend the next couple of months brewing pretty interesting but 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 stuff that we know will sell yeah um again that's a really good question um every brewery is going to be a little bit different in the way they tackle that but for us we have 12 beer taps and mm-hmm. five wine taps um, at the brewery. So for our 12 beer taps, we generally try to run at least 10 of them as what we'd perceive as safe. So that they could be IPAs, you know, they could be sours, they could be um, something that your yeah, average beer drinker may still consider a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people that are into their craft, into craft beer, they'd all they'd approach them as pretty safe beers, you know, like your hazy pails, a couple of stouts, a couple of you know, safe fruit sours, one or two different other IPAs, one or two lagers and, and so on. Um, and so about 10 of those taps are going to be quote unquote safe. And then we'll probably have at least one, if not two um, real, I guess what we'd say real experimental beers on tap where we are testing concepts, um, testing what we would think of relatively new ideas um, that we haven't tried in the market before or if we have maybe seen one other beer around like i personally haven't seen any other lavender beers around um so we'll just we'll try those sorts of concepts out um again that encourages i we hope encourages more of the local people to think a bit differently about the beers they're drinking about the even our beers that they're drinking and encourage them to try new things um but it's also like i say for us just a sort of opportunity to push the envelope and, and and we may even not necessarily follow the path we originally set down of going, okay, here we're trying to balance out Saisons and Grisettes with different botanicals. We might go, oh, wow, that really worked, but in a way that we different than what we thought. So maybe, you know, in the future, we might start adding those botanicals to completely different styles of, of beer or um, yeah. as part of that barrel aging process, like I said. So yeah, to answer that question again, sorry, I have a habit of rambling on <laughs> quite a lot, but um, yeah, about that sort of, not quite 20 percent somewhere like 10 to 15 percent of the beer yeah. we make um we sort of like to really uh yeah try try something new with Love well, it. i think that's a fascinating question and a bit of a fascinating answer as well because for someone who's just tuned into the podcast hasn't got the tasting pack in their hand heard about the first two beers that we're talking about they'll go oh these guys are always pushing the boundary and always doing weird and wonderful things but we've got seven you know, cracking beers in the tasting pack. And many of them are far more, well, when I say line and length, they're line and length styles that people will be familiar with. Uh, Obviously your take on those. So um, let's start to move on and I'll give people who are in the room a little chance to scurry away and get their West Coast IPAs out, which is the one we're going to talk about. But the pack has everything from Pilsners to American Pale Ales to to Cream Ales. Um, I've got a really interesting sort of lineup of things there. It sounds from what you've said already like that's sort of more your influence and your your personal interests. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, uh, I guess what's the next one we're going on to? We're going on to the West Coast IPA. The West, West Coast, Coast IPA. Officially, but you can take us on a little yeah. journey, you know, through just you know touching on 
you know, your, your other favourites of those ones that you've enjoyed? Yeah. So we've got, um, hang on a second, I'm just going to turn my daughter's iPad down. It's quite loud. Hang on. <laughs> That's right. I'm, I'm sure that the kinds of things that she does on her iPad are much better than when I have my 11-year-old <laughs> son in the background playing Fortnite or something, and it sounds like I'm in downtown <laughs> yeah. Beirut. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so the West Coast for us um, is definitely my my baby. It's my bread and butter. Um, when I was homebrewing, uh, God, 14 years ago, however long ago it was, <laughs> um, it was definitely you, you, the style. You don't look old enough to have been Home yeah, yeah that's, years, that's right? so true. Yeah, I'm, I'm 36, so oh, yeah, well, that's um, hey. yeah. Well, I was I was pretty young in getting into it in my 20s, yeah. but I feel like a, you know quite a few people might have. It was more around living with friends and um, at that time li- living with friends and making making beer on the cheap. But um, mm, we we're yeah. making IPAs and stuff on the cheap. Well, we'll come back to that thought in a minute, but I've really got to say, that, you know, you're, you're a wonderful advertisement for drinking beer if, you know, 36 has aged you in the way that it clearly has. So, you know, <laughs> everyone should get into drinking uh, grisettes with lavender and rose water because it's obviously wonderful for the skin. Um, <laughs> so t- tell us about those first beers you made as a home brewer. Yeah. Were you already attracted to styles like a West Coast or did it take you a little while to sort of figure out, um, you know, exactly what styles you were into? No, for sure. That those styles were the reason I started homebrewing. Um, I when I was doing tech journalism, I went to San Francisco um, a couple of times for work, and I tried Sierra Nevada Pale was my first um, foray into craft. Um, so coming back from that trip, I was about twenty-one, I think. So just illegal drinking age there, but had been drinking, unfortunately, been drinking VB and things like that. Mm for a few years locally. Um, so coming back from then trying Sierra Nevada Pale, I think there was at the time, I think Feral had just opened up in WA. Four Pines were maybe in their first few months of opening in Sydney. Mm. There was Mountain Goat and Matilda Bay. Little Creatures. I think there were Little Creatures, but there, there was about five like or mm. six breweries that you could walk into a bottle shop and even then you couldn't find feral at many places on the east coast um so there was about five and when you came back i tried those five pale owls like these are all really nice pale owls um but they were different than what i'd tried when i went to america and i didn't really at the time i was a bit naive and not fully understanding obviously having only had a very small handful of pales wasn't really understanding why they were different um but all i knew was that they were different so that just obviously took me online and took me to researching and took me to homebrew forums and whatever it was else and I pretty quickly after uh sort of decided that if I really wanted to try more pale ales and try more IPAs I was really just going to have to start learning how how to make them and and learning how to to what makes them different to to one another so yeah after about six months of coming home from that trip I bought my first um all grain kit and kegerator and keg system and everything else and just started reading any any book I could about it, reading everything possible about it from, um, you know, the guys from Stone and Sam Calagione's book from Dogfish Head and a couple of other American brewers that went that path of homebrew to professional. And they included a few little recipes in there and things. So I just started pretty much from that. And um, after about a year of doing it, I, my beers were, I think, okay um they I, well, i'm not going to you know say that after a year of brewing that they were good but they were okay and it was interesting enough to me at that point that was when i decided that i really wanted to um to keep doing it and i quit my job 
and um, started applying for jobs in Sydney. So I started working for free at Four Pines and then, like I say, about six months after that, picked up my first job at Riverside um, with Dave Patton, now of Akasha. And um, yeah, so it just it just sort of all grew from there. And, and under Dave, and a big reason I wanted to work for him was at the time, I think uh, 77 IPA was the best, in my opinion, the best IPA in the country. So it was really something that was I was passionate about and wanted to follow and and ever since those days that's just what where my passion has always been is just developing basically pale ale and, and west coast style because it's it was my first introduction to craft and it's in my opinion still um it's it's just got that perfect mix of like creativity hop choice hop selection grain selection it's still it's starting to I guess what you'd say has tradition now it's been 30 40 years so probably close to getting close to 40 years old as a style so i think that can now earn the the title of having a traditional way mm-hmm. of brewing that that style but it also has new spin-offs like every other year there's you know new spin-offs of cold ipas and ipls and cascadian dark owls and dark ipas and hazies and like all these th- all these styles they all they all do stem in my opinion from those classic West Coast IPAs and those classic West Coast parallels, and that everyone's just trying to see how they can put a spin on that, um, and that's what I find fascinating about those styles as well. We've been really—it's been interesting talking to some American breweries lately. Uh, the last episode that we did was with Dissolver, uh, and they were from North Carolina. Really fascinating, but there's this clear feeling in America at the moment of this sort of second generation of West Coast IPAs coming through now. Uh, you know, using different hops rather than the sort of the traditional big C hops and so forth. When you think about hops and the capacity to do new things, you know, are there hops out there that you're keen to get your hands on and do something with? For sure. Um, that's that's another one that's really hard to balance. Um, we've got to allocate these days. It's crazy since COVID. We're allocating our hops, even for a brewery our size, three years ahead now. Um, so we're pre-purchasing, you know, 2025, 2026 crop hops. Wow. So to be, to get your popular varietals, like for us, Ella and Galaxy are our two big Australian ones. We use in our Cali, uh, in our Cream Ale, but then we need, we need Mosaic, Citra, Simcoe, um, at the sort of big, the big American hops we use in our Pale and West Coast. So the That's classics... A- We've not, sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I'm genuinely quite amazed by that. I haven't heard anyone sort of say they're having to book that far ahead in. That's must be a bit of a mind bender to be thinking that far ahead. I'm flat out knowing what I'm doing next mm. Thursday night, let alone, you know, it, what I'm it, doing it, in it, 2025. It is definitely tough. Um, look, you don't, you don't have to um, book that far ahead. It's highly encouraged by the distributors for obvious reasons. I mean, they want their books filled for the next three years. That'd be pretty sweet to not have to worry about. Yeah. selling anything for the next three years as well so it, it is them pushing it but uh it's the bigger the bigger guys that then start forcing this i look we still consider ourselves a very small brewery but we're probably in the grand scheme of things about halfway in in the australian craft market to mm-hmm. between a moderately sized and a, and a truly small brewery but so we probably let's look let's say we order maybe two and a half to three ton probably about three ton of hops a year is our core allocation right so um, it's not a bit, it's not an enormous amount, but it's not a, not nothing either. So we're sort of in this stage now where 
if I want to order one ton of mosaic, um, it's a pretty popular hop and has been made a pretty popular hop. You've got some breweries, you know, Pirate Life have maybe dropped back a little bit from what they were, but only 18 months ago, we're making quite a lot of uh, a single hopped IPA Pirate Life mosaic. So if they're taking, you know, 20 ton of that hop and only 30 ton of it's coming into the country through one supplier, that's when they sort of just say to you, oh, look, sorry, I don't have the hops for you this year. Um, they're going to want to take the 20 ton deal with Pirate Life over the three ton deal with me. So yep. the only way you can truly guarantee that you're not going to end up high and dry is um, is now to start booking it a couple of years out. And that's that was not common for a brewery our size before COVID, but COVID really sort of hammered home um, that you need those contracts in place and you really need to be pre-allocating your hops quite a few years out because um, yeah, with the way the market's been and shipping has been and everything else. Um, we were lucky through COVID, we didn't have any real disruption to our hops, but I do know of a couple of other breweries that that weren't allocated correctly. And um, if if shipments start getting held up at port, well, you know, obviously the people that aren't on contract are the first guys that aren't going to start <laughs> receiving their, their ingredients. And that's going to obviously create more than a few dramas. So yeah, um, but going back to that question, sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to find that because that balance because we do want to be using quite a lot of our, I guess you'd say like the, the all-star hops, right? Because um, we want to make sure we're buying a lot of them. We want to make sure that we're a good customer to our distributors and to the growers so that we get a prior, some level of a priority in that. But we also don't want to just be making the same sort of all, all-star beers, like you say, the four C's and those sorts of things every time either. So it is hard to find that balance, but that's why we're trying to work more so with smaller growers like Freestyle out of New Zealand now um, that we can we can maybe change it up. So we still have the big popular famous American hops through one distributor and then maybe try to find a few more smaller smaller growers, smaller um, distributors and and get our scratch our itch um, that way through through some of those guys um, and not really then have it impact our our buying power, um, as it were, with some of the other bigger guys, yeah. Now, J- James in the core room has got a, a question in the chat. We're going to leave that, I think, for the audience Q&A in a minute. We've mm-hmm. probably got our uh, traditional core room question, which I'll get Warren Wu to ask in a, in a minute. But uh, I'm sort of a little bit intrigued to go back to when you were starting your homebrew and starting your, uh, your West Coast, um, obviously with the family business aspect of things. What did your dad think of those beers? Did you share a few of those home brews with him? Is he into craft beer? Is that sort of something that he was naturally into and he was going, this is fantastic, we should do something with this? Or was he more of your traditional uh, beer drinker of those sort of styles you were talking that you'd had when you were growing up? Um, give us the goss on on what his styles he likes and what, he, what influence he has on what happens in the brewery. Sure. Um, so originally my father was more of a wine drinker um, historically. Um, but I find that some of the more adventurous beer drinkers always were, um, yeah, absolutely. it's the people that were, you know, bogged down and they're like, Oh, I've drank, I drank, you know, Reshes since the seventies or, or the, I, I, that's all I drink. And that's the best beer. Everything else is, you know, cat's piss or whatever. So they're the ones that are really hard typically to get them to try something new and to, for them to give it more than one shot. Cause even 
professionals in the industry and people that drink quite a lot of beer, sometimes when you go back for it a second or third time, you might actually start changing your mind. It's like listening to an album a couple of times yeah. for a favorite band, you know, you, they release a new album, you go, I don't know how I feel about this. And after a few times of listening, you go, you know what, actually, I, there's some, some nuance I missed, there's some character I missed in this. I'd actually, it's, I've come around a bit to it. So yeah, Great I th- you're absolutely- yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that can happen a bit. And, and for a wine drinker coming over to beer, they're already a bit more open-minded. Um, and so that, that I guess worked for us, um, as a family business, he was drinking beer before, obviously wanting to start the brewery with me. Um, he was drinking, I was still home brewing a little bit at my time at four pines, not very frequently at all, but when we'd sort of discussed starting a business, um, he obviously wanted to try not just the four pines beers that I was making, um, which, everyone has their opinions about them i i would rather have made, maybe been making some different beers at the time but um yeah so we i tried he tried some home brews of mine and and um obviously enjoyed them um and thought that there was potentially an opportunity up here to to maybe make west coast and 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 pale ale and some of the styles that i was really passionate about because at the time here stone and wood was the only brewery here and they'd been here for about a decade here um when we first opened and now that was five years ago so that they were 10 years old then they're about 15 years old now and now there's i think about seven here so we were the first or sorry first other than stonerwood the first of the new guys um and it did take a little while for us to sort of get those west coast get that american pale sort of up and running here um so our tastes, while they remained the same for, for enjoying those styles, we did pretty quickly need to pivot a little bit. And um, that's when we released the Cali Cream. Um, and that was mainly to compete with Pack Ale um, on tap in local venues because most local venues, their feedback was basically saying that we're crazy because um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone was drinking 4%, 4 to 4.5% beer. And all the tap beer up here is because there's no public transport, there's no trains and there's almost no buses. So everyone up here was drinking pack ale or, or mid strength, like Cooper's mid and things like that. So when we came in and said, oh, our pale ale is five and a half percent and our IPA is seven and a half percent, they all looked at us like we had two heads. So we very quickly then started making Cali cream and that came in at four and a half percent. And pretty much from the month we started making that, that's basically been our pack ale that's been about 70 70 odd percent of our total volume that we've made in the brewery pretty much since oh. that day we started making it so a very similar story to stone and wood how a lot of people here don't even realize now that we that west coast is actually what my passion is and that it's what we that's our most awarded style we've won the most awards for west coast that's what people in the craft industry especially in sydney and brisbane know us for is my limited release west coasts um and my core west coast um locally if people walk into a bar, they'll say, can I have a seven mile? And that means, can I have a Cali cream in the same way that someone walking into a bar will say, can I have a stone and wood? And what they mean to say is, can I have a Pacific mm. ale? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, fascinating. And the, yeah. I love little bits of nuance, like the public transport being what drives it. It makes total sense. Yeah. I understand yeah. what you're, where you're coming from, but yeah. does your dad have a favorite beer in the range? Um. I'd say it's the Cali cream now for him as well um, with his because mates. Because it's the bestseller? Yeah, <laughs> for maybe. But it's what most of his mates drink. So um, they're, they're sort of in a, a golden oldies sort of club at the at the pub 
for the rugby club and things like that. And they're all in their, well, most, a lot of them are in their mid sixties now and same sort of thing. They just want a beer that's um not necessarily going to blow their head off. So they, they'll mainly drink the Cali. They might have one West coast, you know, sprinkled in here and there, but um, and, it, and I must admit, even myself now that I'm in my mid thirties, um, when I was in my mid twenties with my mates, I almost exclusively drank West Coast. I didn't even—I thought all the other beer styles were rubbish and blah 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 blah. I went through that stage like a, a few of the younger craft yeah. beer drinkers do. But now in my, I must admit, like I, I love the West Coast and I love West. It's still my favorite style. I love every—you know—trying new IPAs all the time. But I really don't drink it that much anymore either. It knocks me around a bit more that I'm in my mid thirties. So. Um, well, I just realised yeah. how close I am to entering the Golden Oldies Club. So you know, <laughs> yeah. so. no, they uh, they get special prices. The Golden Oldies at the, yeah. at the pub, even better. <laughs> does, does it hurt you? Does it hurt a little that you're like the Cali Cream? And I'm sure you're proud of it because you made a product which which is popular and and people buy it and drink it and like it. But does it hurt you a little bit that it's not the West Coast IPAs? A little bit. I. I like I'm sure that you've probably, you've probably even spoken to other brewers that have a similar sort of story. But like for me, I wanted to be the next Russian River, as I'm sure everyone does. And I wanted to just have that Pliny, that Pliny moment, you know, where it's like everyone's lining up two, two blocks deep to mm. try my IPA. And, you know, people fly up to, to Byron Bay and they're like, oh, bring back some bottles of Seven Mile West Coast with you, you know. Um, yep. It's look. It certainly hasn't gone two blocks deep, not even close. But we we have had we have had uh, a couple of people come in that do live in Sydney and stuff that have tried the West Coast and do say, oh, my mate said I have to come here and get bring back a carton for him and this that and the other. So it does happen. Not every day, not even every week, but it does happen, and that's enough for me to warm my heart a little bit. Um, awesome. Oh, and absolutely, <laughs> why we've got you on the show is because we had people say to us, "You've got to have these guys on the show. You've got to get these beers in the tasting pack." So, mm. very much. I can't remember whether it was Jacob, who I, that's who I've got in my head, was one of the people who recommended you. But Jacob, it was Jacob. Jacob's confirming that that was the case. So you know, really genuinely, <laughs> word word spreads, and hopefully, the podcast helps spread the word. And, and our 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 international talent hunter is just is just reminded us that if you put the thumbs up thing on a Zoom call, then a, then the icon pops up in the corner of your screen, which is ridiculous. Well, but, hang on, I'm watching professional wrestling out of the corner of my eye. Do you mean the icon Sting turns up in the corner of your yeah, screen? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, the icon Sting turns up. Um, all right, let's do the traditional cool room question. It's one that we love, and it's probably one that we haven't set Matt up for. So we have not. Normally, we give oh, people the heads up about this. We haven't given Matt the heads up. Excellent, brilliant. All right, so the the this question basically is about the ridiculous things that occasionally happen in 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 the hospitality industry, in the beer brewing industry, and everything about that. And the question kind of revolves around the weirdest, strangest, smelliest, explosivest thing that's ever happened to you in a cool room. And we broadly we broadly define cool room as any hospitality beer production venue. But yeah, what's the craziest thing you've seen in a in a cool room? Ah. Uh. Oh wow! Um, or just behind the scenes, you know, you know. Or behind the scenes, or a stupid story <laughs> behind the scenes, just peeking behind the curtain. In a brewery, it hasn't been too much wild stuff. Like a lot of my career, um, 
was at Four Pines as a shift brewer. <laughs> so I was at the brewery between the hours of 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. And as much and as when you're out, out, out at a party, things might happen between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m., but not not in an industrial environment generally. It's pretty quiet. And my quiet, gut feeling but... is for the Four Pines operation would be quite controlled and quite... Definitely and towards the end. Early days, early days, it was pretty, could be pretty wild. Yeah. Um, I don't want to dob in any shift brewers there for maybe some things that happened after hours, but um, no, generally that was a pretty controlled environment. The wildest thing inside a cold room I think I've ever been involved with was before I was in brewing when I was packing shelves as a teenager at Woolies. Um, there was one time that we were doing end of end of financial year stock take um, in the dairy section and there was like half a pallet basically of like expired like yo play yogurt it wasn't well expired but it was like two days past expiry and mm-hmm. so this was at like two o'clock in the morning or whatever and we just finished stock take and um yeah the perishables and dairy sort of managers said that it was okay that we could basically just have a giant yogurt fight with it so we basically <laughs> had like half half a pallet of yogurt and just went just went bananas we figured it's two o'clock in the morning why not and then um it wasn't actually that bad it wasn't actually that bad to clean up because there's about eight of us so a lot yeah. of fun for about 10 minutes and then about eight of us quickly cleaning it up but yeah that was probably the wildest thing i've ever done in the cold room um it was like yeah probably about a 500 kilo yogurt fight <laughs> I, I don't know whether giant yogurt fight sounds like a good name for an album yeah. or a website <laughs> that i wouldn't want to visit like it's <laughs> or a t-shirt no, or a t-shirt. Or a t-shirt. Yeah. What about no, behind the scenes fun. in breweries? And you don't have to name the brewery by any means. You know, just sort of things. You know, uh, most love of a good it... expl- Surely you must have been around an explosion now that you, you know. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, there's been heaps of beer canos and things like that where, you know, dry hopping. I mean, I guess the craziest one that I've been a part of was one that that I was in, and I'm pretty sure John, one of my mates now that's at Stone of Wood, was there on shift with me i think but Mm -hmm. um yeah it was a third no it was a it was a i think a twenty thousand or a thirty thousand liter tank so a decent sized tank and back in the day at four pines we didn't have any other dry hop method so even on a tank that big we were still going up ladders um and cutting bags of hops to put in the top and to give you an idea it's probably about eight and a half maybe even nine meters up it's a decent absolutely a decent way up for for ladders so i hope they don't get in trouble for um breaking ohns standards back then but that was definitely not ohns compliant um and yeah, i like to think it was a particularly rickety old wooden ladder you know yeah, as well yeah, exactly. so i'm sure yeah, that's yeah, not it had the nails case, all over it and, might as well tell no, the story like that um no but this was yeah up to do a dry hop on that and um i i wasn't luckily the one climbing the ladder i was standing on the bottom and i th- can't remember if it was john or maybe it was mitch or another guy that was climbing up it and Anyway, there's about 40 kilos, maybe 60 kilos of hops to go in this thing. So you've got to, while going up with bags, carry a couple wow. up with you, cut them, cut them with your knife and uh, tip them in. They're five kilo bags. So you're sort of balancing, trying to lug four to six bags up with you. And yeah, and as you put it in. How many bags lugging up with you up a ladder? Well, that would be oh, eight. 30 kilos. Yeah, or yeah but you might, do, you might do kilos. four, you might do four, come down. And I think this is maybe even what happened. Do four, come back, grab the other four and go back up. Oh yeah, and, yeah. I, and um, so I think I think that was what actually happened. You got to forgive me. This was probably eight years ago, so then I'm trying to remember the exact details. But so I think that was what happened. And anyway, on the second, let's say it was the second go up the ladder, 
um, we have what can happen, which is a beer volcano. So this happens if you're dry hopping the beer at the end of ferment. So somewhere around like that four Play-Doh, maybe five Play-Doh. I don't know what that is in SG, but um, probably like 10, 14 or 10, 12, something like that SG. Um, and so there's a little tiny, tiny little bit of ferment activity going on. But what can happen is it's the same as the clean glass, dirty glass thing with like carbonation and bubbles in a glass, right? So basically the beer has been somewhat locked in. It's somewhat softly carbonated and it's warm. And so it's got a bit of dissolved CO2 in it. And when you add all those hot pellets in, it just gives it millions of nucleation points. And what happens nucleation is... Nucleation points, can I say, one of my favourite words. Yeah, there's a name for Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So you get these millions of nucleation points in there. The pellets start breaking up and they sort of cover the top of the beer and it doesn't let the gas out. And what happens is you get this big gas buildup. The tank literally erupts like a volcano and it starts gushing out the top of the tank. Now, normally on a homebrew level that's going to make a couple of liters of mess on your floor and your homebrew fridge it sucks you need to replace your airlock you know blah 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 but on a thirty thousand liter tank you're probably going to get about five thousand liters of beer maybe coming out at you in a space of 60 to 120 seconds so one to two minutes and you basically can't do anything about it so you can't close the lid you can't even try to close the lid because if especially on a ladder it'll just knock you off your ladder and you'll have a really bad day um so he was standing on the ladder and just holding onto the ladder. I was standing at the bottom of the ladder as the spotter with my feet locked uh-huh. in so that the ladder didn't slip out. And you both just sort of have to stand there and hold your breath as like a few thousand litres of beer comes down over you. And you've just got to like try to be calm and try to not panic, not let go, not do anything and just hope that the beer eventually stops. Um, and it does. But that like one or two minutes feels like 10 when when you're just getting it's basically like being in the surf getting pumped by like a big wave but it's beer um is the best way to describe it i guess and you sort of just yeah. uh, you know you're wondering when your next breath's going to sort of come <laughs> yeah. yeah oh shit i know that feeling that's awesome but but that's... how is that an efficient way to make beer i'm not being smart it's not, this is me not asking as an outsider <laughs> like surely if that if that's a regular thing that occurs if it's not regular beer... that probably has happened I reckon the whole time I was at Four Pints, maybe five years or so, that probably happened like two times, maybe, oh, maybe exactly. three, yeah. maybe three. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it just happens and you're like... It just yeah. happens and there's not much you can do. I mean, look, that that's not true. There are things you can do, but yeah. depending on depending on how you want your beers to come out, that's when you decide your dry hop timings and blah, 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 blah. And I there's risks love the, associated. Yeah. And I love the fact that like everyone starts somewhere, like even Four Pints, like even... Like yeah. now, mighty four pies at one yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, and the image, like having being someone who has just been smashed by the surf a few times in their life. Yeah, that, yeah, no, the, the that that yeah, that represents. it sounds fun, and in hindsight, it kind of is. It's like anything, right? You laugh yeah, about yeah, it yeah. a bit in hindsight, but at the time, at the time, you you're sort of like this is crazy. <laughs> but um, yeah, then you can laugh about it, and then start start cleaning yeah. a few thousand litres of beer off the floor. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like being smashed by the surf when you're on a seven-metre-tall ladder. That's the bit that I yes. think yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, that's probably the craziest thing I've ever been a part of or, or oh, seen. The, 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 the yogurt fight. Is the yogurt like, fight was good yeah. fun. Yeah. And, and, like, no one had a urinary tract infection for the next five years. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> We should we should call. Surely it's no one or everyone had, you know. 
We yeah. should take a little break there. <laughs> no, no, I, I think let's 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 plow on with our audience questions and get this. <laughs> oh, shall we? All right, let's do it. Ab- absolutely. So we've got we've got a couple of audience questions here. Uh, which is fantastic. Um, Matt's had his three-year-old uh, joining him. I now have my seven-year-old dog joining me. So Lionel's <laughs> in the studio. So if you hear the sound of a tail wagging in the background, that's what's um, that's what's happening there. I will make sure that I don't run over him with my desk chair this podcast, unlike previous episodes. Uh, James, can you please unmute and ask your question? Oh, thanks, David, and uh, nice to see you, Lionel. Um, and thanks, Matt. This has been great. Um, um, I have to credit you with the West Coast. I'm glad you stayed firm because it's my favourite style. And I think Jacob's going to pick up on that in a bit. But um, <laughs> what I wanted to ask about was, um, have you? Do you have any inclination towards trying some uh, some of these more experimental hops? I know you've got this connection already, but um, we, we see a lot of these things coming through like Nectaron has now become mainstream because of these connections with Australian brewers and I wondered if, if you have these sort of connections already in place that are attractive yeah um, the, the very short answer to that is, is yes um, we've, we've had a few experimental hops Nectaron one of them um, through our brewery that we made an IPA with that we really enjoyed um, and part of the feedback that we always give when we do get experimental hops, just like every brewery is um, a big question that they're going to ask you is, would you buy this again and how much of it? And that sort of decides for them if they're going to sell it and grow it and do all those things. Um, so yeah, Nectaron is a great example of that um, that we also have used and, and continue to use. Um, there are probably year before, so it would have been 2019 was the biggest year we did for experimental stuff. We, I did one whole year with IPAs where I made a new experimental IPA every month and I did 12 different uh, like letter, letter number coded hops. So just experimental named hops. I did a new, a new one every single month. Um, from that, I learned a lot. Um, and we then have made another West Coast IPA with a lot of my favorites from that and then blended from that i made an uh probably about six months ago maybe a little longer i made a west coast rpa called secret herbs and spices um and that was yeah utilizing originally it was meant to be 11 um going for the name 11 different secret herbs and spices for the kfc joke um that then, uh, i love that joke that, that is the best <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that is incredible it yeah. ended up only being nine in the end because <laughs> when i really sat down and and wrote the recipe. Defamation lawyers about yeah, well, desist orders. No, we still called it secret herbs and spices. Yeah, I we, think it, yeah. we just um, we just, I I just didn't feel great like around the eleven. It was just a yeah. bit over the top for the sake of the meme yeah. or for the joke. So it got cut back to nine. But a lot of those hops, at least three of them in there, were experimental variety hops, and then the others were just blends of some of the favourites. But um, that's, in my opinion, the best IPA. I've ever made or and seven miles ever made. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have any kegs of it left to send to the Indies, but we sent, I think it was like a five month old can to the Indies and it picked up a gold medal on a five month old can. So wow. if, if we make it again, well, not if, when we make it again, I'll be trying to maybe cheese the system a little bit and I'll probably try to make it fresh 
for either the AIBAs or for the Indies. And if I can send a fresh keg of that, I'm pr- I'm confident that will get a gold as well. But I'd be I'd be lying if I said I wasn't really trying to take out a champion trophy with that beer. Um, I haven't won a champion trophy yet, so I'd love to I'd love to take it out with a with a West Coast rather than with a hazy for sure. Um, We're all behind you, mate. Yeah, and, and <laughs> yeah, I think I think it would be hilarious calling it eleven secret herbs and spices and only having nine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> would be part yeah. of the genius. Just add some salt and pepper, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. Yeah. just a yeah. little bit of salt and there. Yeah, awesome. I yeah. completely agree. Yeah, I think it's terrific. And yeah, if it is, is it a red and white can? Is it a? That's the. No, other. we didn't. We we tried to. Like have the joke yeah. there, but try to not go too hard. So it's like Fair a hop, enough, yeah. It's a hop cone with like wearing a little bow tie, like the Colonel's bow tie and stuff yeah. like that. But so there's there's a few little you know hard nods to yeah. it and whatever. But it's trying to still yeah have pl- plausible deniability, you know. Yeah. But one day, can you just go the full like? Let's see what KFC do, please. Just one day. <laughs> maybe look. Maybe if it does win a, if it ever does win a big award. That might yeah, be just the, um, go just go for gold. Just that go. might be that might be the attention that it needs to get a cease and desist. So we'll see. Yeah, exactly. See how that goes. But no, I mean, yeah, to answer that question, sorry, just to make sure I did answer it. Yeah. Um with experimentals, yeah, it's definitely something we look at. Definitely something I'm always paying attention to. And yeah, it's that's again, it's what I'm so excited about when it comes to pale ales and IPAs is the amount of new hops that have come out even in the last five years is just mind blowing compared mm-hmm. to the last three decades so yeah very very excited for it um and most of it is gonna hopefully start coming from a few smaller growers for a long time it's been dominated by you know your bath house in australia hpa bath house owns them and then bsg through america and um yakima chief and some of the big guys like that they've just been dominating that those hot breeding programs but there's a lot of smaller hot farms now starting their own breeding programs and things so that's that's what's going to start being exciting in my opinion because then it's not it's not as monopolized as it currently is where you're you're really strict strictly i guess controlled into like who can provide good hops and you can start having these little relationships with these other little growers and stuff um yeah I'm, i'm going over to freestyle hops in about a month um, to go over to New Zealand, and I'm pretty pumped it's to go start trying to have that relationship with some pretty exciting new growers. Um, and, if you need and, someone to carry yeah. your bags, let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it, it's only a short trip. I'm only going for three days, unfortunately. But um, but yeah, they're they're the sorts of um things that still really definitely excite me is going there and trying new hops, mainly for West Coasts. But like I say, their their Motueka that they grew tastes and smells and nothing like Motueka that I've tried before. So yeah, very, very, very excited to go try some of the different hops and try some of the beers they've made with those hops for sure. Now, um, anyone who uses the oh. phrase plausible deniability, as you did earlier on, is clearly a friend of the Cool Room podcast. Uh, <laughs> Matt, I've loved having you on. I'm going to throw to Mr. Warren Wu to introduce the last of our audience questions and take us home. Um, Jacob, would you like to unmute yourself and ask your your terrific question yeah uh hello thank you um 
Yeah, no, my question was just touching on your uh, love of West Coast that, you know, in a way you have to keep under a bushel just to move units locally. But um, have, and you may well have done this because I'm not at your brewery every day, sadly, as much as I love it up there. But have you thought of putting together like a run of West Coast, you know, at the same time to do a special pack or variations on the theme where, you know, the people like us down here who absolutely love them, we can quickly snap them up and go, this is fun. Let's, let's try all these different tweaks on it and hit things he thinks are important in the West Coast, you know, I imagine particularly hops. Um, so, yeah, have you, th- have you done that or thought about that? No, not, I mean, I've thought about it. Um, I haven't done it. So, and you're saying that it will, they'd all be West Coast that we've made, not necessarily that I'm finding other West Coasts in the wild from, from other breweries, including that in the pack or... Well, actually, that, that's another idea. If you've got regional ones, like particularly your region, because say we're down inner city Melbourne, we don't get them every day from the far Northern Rivers region. But you know, you could have some uh, untouched gold there for all we know. But if you could easily just make four, six West Coasts that you just love, I don't know. Yeah, look, it's a, it's something that I could I could definitely talk to the other local breweries around here about. We're all very close, um, and try to grab a West Coast or West Coast close west coast style from them to make a pack and then i could try to chuck in three or four of our own um i generally have at least two west coasts available at the brewery at any one time but um no it's not something i've done and and a big part of that is just because of how difficult it can be for us to sell our own west coast locally mm. um but never say never um it's its biggest challenge would just be trying to work with a finding a distributor to sort of take a fair chunk of it um, to help us move it. Um, and I think probably the best way to do that would probably be to try to get, you know, Sanctus and Wandana and Earth and, um, you know, Two Mates or any of the other local breweries up here on board to to make one beer for the pack as well. And maybe we, um, yeah, chuck in three or four of our own and try to get a pack going that way would probably be the only way I could see it happening, but that certainly wouldn't be something that can happen, you know, overnight. That'd that'd take a bit of work, but it's certainly something I'd be interested in doing for sure. Well, um, I think, given your um, background and your resume with West Coast, um, I'm sure you could potentially get this lined up before production, which you'd probably like to do. You know, definitely something find line up first. Down south, you know, find us in your city craft beer wankers ready to gobble it up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd be right. Yeah, no, for sure. I'd um, look. It's definitely a good idea. Um, the closest we've done to that was at one time, I think we had three or four West Coasts available just by chance at the brewery, um, but that wasn't necessarily intentional. Um, uh, so, yeah, usually we try not to be that heavy, heavy-handed with it. But, um, yeah, no, look, I genuinely um, would love to try to sort something like that out. So I'll just have to – and it'll probably be a good – well, hopefully be a good way for us to maybe get a good intro into a – a Victorian, uh, you know, sort of distro group maybe anyway, because it's something that that's something we need to do anyway. Um, mm. We we don't really distribute to uh, to Vic. I think is it Carbon Sellers? Is that down yeah, in Melbourne? That's us. Yeah, yeah, we so love them. The that's best. that's the only place we've ever had our beer, and it's only been one. We've we've shipped one half pallet, I think, to Carbon ever in like the last couple of years. So it's not something we've done frequently. Um, at all um but maybe it's something that we can entertain the idea of now yeah. that we're um starting to get a little bit 
more comfortable, I guess, with our our size and our operation. They they seem to be one of the choice places to launch, you know, breweries in Melbourne, you know, from interstate or overseas. That and probably Miss Moses, if you're looking for another bar. I have heard of them as well, yeah. On that note, we would probably, this would probably be a good time to thank Matt for his, his, well, his generous time in in letting us know about Seven Mile. It's been, we've, we've had a blast. Uh, and to all our listeners, if you want to see Matt be able to brew West Coast IPAs all the fucking time, uh, get onto your get onto your bottle shop and make sure they know about Seven Mile. Um, it would be awesome to see more of your beers down here. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Just a quick one. Um, any chance you're down for Good Beer Week, Matt, um, in Melbourne? Is there any chance we might see you? I unfortunately won't be. Um, mm-hmm. Paul, I'll have to double check with him if he's going to, because he's originally from Vic coming from Hop Nation, but I'll have to check what his schedule's like if he's planning on going back for it. He did mention that he would like to. Um, so he may be around. So if that's the case, um, yeah, you can feel free to reach out to me. And um, he's certainly a very interesting um, bloke to have a chat to as well. He's been in the industry just as long as I have. I think he's got about 12 or 14 years experience under his belt as well. And um, yeah, worked with Hop Nation for a good while and um, a couple of other pretty impressive Victorian breweries. So he's certainly a fountain of knowledge as well. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so thank you very much. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful. Um, we've we've yeah, we've loved it. And thank you for your spending your Sunday afternoon hanging out with us. Awesome. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, man. Cheers.